Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Riverton, Wyoming. Riverton is a small city, not quite 10 square miles in size, and was founded in 1906. It lies at the union of the Big and Little Wind Rivers. The Wind River Indian Reservation, which lies near Riverton, is the seventh largest Indian reservation in the United States and is inhabited by the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho tribes. The city offers a rich Native American cultural experience and many opportunities for outdoor adventure. In the last several decades, Riverton has grown to a town of over 10,000 residents and boasts six Olympic and professional athletes who once called the city home. And what was once a city exclusively centered around ranching and mining has transformed to include a focus on educational and commercial opportunities. There's also a minimum security prisoner honor farm located a mile north of the town that provides employment and other economic benefits. But in 2004, when the farm became the site of a horrific murder, the police were in a quandary. How do you find a murderer when everyone is a suspect? On April 15, 2004, just before 7 a.m., the Riverton Police Department received a phone call from the Wyoming Honor Farm and were advised that a body was found in the basement by employees arriving at work. The Honor Farm, part of the Wyoming Department of Corrections, housed approximately 176 inmates in 2004 with a staff of 50, and it covers about 640 acres just north of the town. A Department of Corrections inmate classification system determines which inmates are eligible for the low-security facility and it is based on a number of factors, including age, type of crime, and disciplinary history. Even inmates originally sentenced to a maximum or medium security facility can qualify to be sent to the honor farm. That really surprises me. Did that surprise you when you read it? I was actually surprised that there were murderers at the honor farm. Right. I guess when it was first established, it really was for the low-risk offenders, people Mm -hmm. who bounced checks, people who maybe had, you know, drugs. A DUI. Yeah. All inmates are required to work in some capacity, and many of the prisoners actually work off campus at the... So to speak. (laughs) Exactly, at the Wind River Mushrooms Farm. Well, until it closed in 2006. According to an episode of Nightmare Next Door entitled Prescription for Murder, Riverton police officer Larry Prince responded to the call from the Honor Farm And when he arrived at the prison gate, he was directed to the dental area of the medical clinic. Now, Kath, do you have any idea where the dental clinic is on the prison campus, I'm assuming? It is. It's away from where the dormitories are. The inmates don't live in cells. Instead, they're in a dormitory where each prisoner had their own room and it had an adjoining bathroom that they used. So it was like a suite in college. That's very nice. Wow. When Officer Prince got to the basement and saw the victim, he immediately assumed it involved sexual assault. The victim was half naked on the floor. Her coat was on, but her shirt was pulled up and over her face. Her bra was pushed up, and her pants and underwear were pulled down. She was spread eagle next to an exam chair in the dentistry exam area of the medical clinic. It was obvious the victim had been strangled because a cord was still left around her neck. And when Officer Prince moved the shirt covering her face, he observed that she was also badly beaten. He also knew the victim. Riverton was a small town, and Officer Prince lived there his whole life. The victim's name was Tammy Watts. He immediately locked down the prison. Tammy Watts was a native of Riverton. She met her husband, Lee, when they were in high school and got married when she was 16 years old. 
Tammy's mom, Linda Hart, said everyone just knew they were meant for each other and would be together forever. They had four children in quick succession, but once their family was complete, Tammy wanted to have a career. She went back to school and got her GED, then went to Central Wyoming College and got her associate degree in nursing. Her mom was a nurse, and Tammy always wanted to follow in her mom's footsteps. After receiving her degree, Tammy got a job at the Wyoming Honor Farm as a contract worker for a company that provides medically trained staff for prisons. Tammy's mom was worried about her working there, but she assured her mom that she was safe when she was on the Honor Farm grounds. There were prison guards looking out for all of the civilian staff, and Tammy was not worried. You know, Kath, it's funny. I recently met a woman when I was in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So, like, I get into an Uber and I start asking people a million questions like, you know, what are you doing and how are you doing? Blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, this woman had just retired from the Nevada Department of Corrections, and she worked in a men's prison for 20 years. Then she said they transferred her, I want to say for three years, five years, something like that, to the women's prison. Then she was transferred back to the men's. So I said, which one do you like better? And she goes, oh, absolutely the men. Our friend, the chief, worked at a women's jail, and she said it was a nightmare because there's just way more drama, way more... You think women are bad in high school. I yeah. can't imagine putting the worst of them in a prison in together. A pr exactly. I asked her, were you afraid when you were working in the men's jail? And she said, originally, I was. I was young. I was intimidated. But you quickly realize you don't show fear and you can't show fear. You have to act like you're in control. But she said, I knew at any minute I could have been attacked. Yeah. But I also knew that people were watching. And then she said, once I established respect, in other words, treated them respectfully. and They didn't have a problem with her. Nobody ever had a problem with her. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and she loved her job. With the honor firm housing 176 inmates and 50 staff members, it was an overwhelming task to try and narrow down possible suspects. Officer Prince immediately called Riverton Police Lieutenant Chuck Carr. Prince knew no one would dive deeper into this case than he would. Riverton Police Chief John Snell also requested assistance from the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation to help interview the large number of inmates and staff at the honor farm. When Lieutenant Carr arrived at the scene, one of the first things he noticed was that Tammy's purse was wedged under her body. Since her coat was also on, he surmised that she didn't even have a chance to put stuff down before she was attacked. With her shirt covering her face, Lieutenant Carr also knew this was unlikely to be a random attack. So with this information, he started whittling down the number of potential suspects. Carr knew that Tammy arrived at work just before her 6 a.m. shift. She went to a guard station where she had to check out a set of keys. From there, she went downstairs to the basement where the dental area of the medical clinic was located. Guard logs showed that she was the first person to sign out the clinic's keys that morning, which meant that the chance that it was another staff member who killed her was slim. Going downstairs to where the body was found, Lieutenant Carr saw that the door Tammy unlocked to get into the nurse's office had a spring closure. It would stay open for a couple seconds before slamming shut. Whoever killed Tammy likely snuck in behind her before the door closed and trapped her. Riverton Police Detective Joe Davis reported seeing evidence of a struggle in the main nurse's office which is adjacent to the dental room where Tammy's body was found. He saw a carton of creamer on its side under a counter and several areas on the carpet where the creamer was spilled. There was also fresh coffee stains on one of the walls. Tammy's mom, Mrs. Hart, told police one of the prisoners at the Honor Farm had recently sent her several love letters telling her that he had strong feelings for her. Tammy did not tell her mom who it was, but she was rattled by it. Her mom asked if they were threatening, and Tammy said no. When her mother asked if they were sexual, Tammy said yes, and that they were really bad. Her mom must have been really unhappy that she wasn't sharing that. Oh, I would have been pummeling the information out of my child. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I'm a good mom. She is. She, Mama loves you. <laughs> Mama loves you. Police started to come up with a list of possible suspects. They started with the list of prisoners who had been to the clinic recently. One prisoner stood out, Floyd Grady. 
Floyd, Floyd, all null and void. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's, it's Lloyd, Lloyd, all null and void. Sing Name anything. That. Yeah, sing anything. anything. <laughs> exactly, that John Cusack movie. With him standing outside of her bedroom window with the boombox? Uh, oh, 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 Peter Gabriel, what was that song? Um, say anything. The, no, 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 that was the name of the movie. In uh, your in eyes. eyes. In your <laughs> eyes, exactly. One of my favorite John Cusack movies is The Sure Thing. Oh, that's my favorite. Favorite John Cusack uh, movie. Anyway. Better Off Dead is good because it has the two dollars. I want my two dollars. Say anything. No guilt involved. No strings attached. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a good movie. What does he say? Like, I, I don't want to process anything that's made. I don't want to make anything that's processed. Right. Like, whatever that. <laughs> anyway, we're right. not really selling them, but they're good movies. Okay, we're, so we're the big John Cusack. Fans. Exactly. Okay, so the prisoner that stood out was Floyd, Floyd Grady. Grady, go not ahead. Lloyd. He was at the medical clinic five times in March and 10 times in the two weeks before Tammy's death. Investigators were very interested in talking to him since he went to the medical clinic more often than anyone else. Lieutenant Carr had actually made a comment about he didn't know anybody who went to a clinic like that unless they were really, really sick, and nothing about his records indicated that. Interesting. But the police also knew that he may have information on other inmates he may have noticed who were acting strangely or aggressively toward Tammy. Detectives looked into Grady's background and noted that he was in prison for raping and beating a 16-year-old girl in 1994. Now, Kath, he had a job at the Golden Corral restaurant, which I think is like a Denny's? I think it's like a Denny's, yeah. Okay. He worked there, and he offered to give the 16-year-old co-worker a ride home. How old was he at the time? Do you have any idea? Like at the time of this prior so situation? Been 10 years. He would have been 19. Oh, God. But anyway, so he offered her a ride home, mm-hmm. and they were co-workers, and so she accepted, and he beat her and raped her. <sighs> he received a sentence of 10 to 30 years, but, you know, 10 years in, he was already in minimum security on her farm. That's which, incredible to me. Because of this, Floyd Floyd made a good suspect, and the police wondered if he was behind the letters Tammy told her mom about. Did he take his obsession to the next level because police knew it was not unusual for someone convicted of a sex crime to reoffend. True. Very true, unfortunately. Lieutenant Carr went to Grady's cell and was surprised when he saw him. He did not look menacing, average build, average size, glasses, and he was very courteous. Lieutenant Carr thought Floyd Floyd looked truly surprised to see him. Grady told Carr that he did not have anything to do with Tammy's murder. He said she was very kind to him, and when he told Tammy that no one had ever baked him a cake for his birthday, she baked him a cake. Carr wondered if Grady took Tammy baking him a cake as being more than just a kind gesture. Right. And the timing of his birthday coincided with when Tammy started receiving the raunchy letters she told Mm. her mom about. When detectives tried to question him more, Grady asked for a lawyer. Police weren't surprised he asked for an attorney because a lot of inmates are cautious with any police questioning. And it made even more sense when they learned that six months prior the Wyoming Board of Parole granted Grady parole to Indiana for this sentence of rape. However, Indiana authorities rejected his plan because he was going to live with his dad, but Indiana officials determined that his dad lived too close to schools and churches. By rejecting Grady's parole plan, his parole was rendered Floyd Floyd null and void. void. (laughs) Exactly. And his next scheduled parole date was nine months away. In the meantime, Grady's father was working on moving to a more suitable location. Investigators knew that an inmate so close to parole would take no chances on getting caught up in something that they were not involved in. Can you imagine you're on the cusp of being released and they're like, no, we don't like your plan. Seems like you'd quickly come up with a plan B. With prisoners in and out of the clinic all day, the investigators knew it could have been anyone. Without any physical evidence from the crime scene to give them leads, police decided to talk to some of the prisoners and see if there's any gossip about who was a potential suspect. I would imagine being in prison would make you a huge gossip. Oh, I'm You have nothing sure. else to do. Yes. Information is currency. Yeah. You know, so yeah, for sure. So that led them to convicted felon Scott Young. According to the Nightmare Next Door episode referenced earlier, he was a bodybuilder and obviously had the size and strength to subdue anyone. He also spent a lot of time challenging everyone (laughs) and trying to prove he was a tough guy in prison. I'm trying to remember that. What was that phrase? Oh, in the episode? Yeah, yeah. They said he was trying to be the cock of the walk. Oh, that's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. The cock of the walk. So he was a pretty scary guy, and he was in prison for murder. And when investigators looked into the murder for which he was convicted, the circumstances were very similar to what happened with Tammy. Tammy's co-workers told detectives she recently came face-to-face with Young when he was in a rage. He was told to stop lifting weights by the doctor, and he got really angry about it. I wonder if he was getting, like, steroids on the side or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So he lunches at the doctor, and Tammy gets in between them. I don't understand that. I don't either. I would, as a female, I think probably in a prison, maybe she was more confident. There were guards there. There were people there. Or she just was was acting on impulse. Because she does seem like she was a very kind and generous person. Yes. But I just think, like, every instinct I had would be like, run, run, tell the doctor you'll tell someone there's a problem Totally. Like, getting between two men would not be my Especially one that's all jacked up and (laughs) roidy. Exactly. (laughs) We had a neighbor who used to live in the hood a long time ago. He was super jacked up and roidy. And one of Kevin's, my number three son. Yeah came hauling around the corner and did this like squealing right right like a total teenage fool right i mean coming into the neighborhood squealing doing donuts on purpose like being a goof and so this neighbor who was all roided out to great umbrage at this and decided it was a good idea to get my son's face for some reason and i just remember this guy he gets mad at my son and goes up and like chest bumps him And of course I wasn't home. Right. I was at work. My husband was at work. I come home literally like five minutes after it happens. And Kevin was like 16 and this man was like in his, I don't know, 40s. Oh, I was livid. I was totally fit to be tied. And so then Kathy went and chest bumped him. (laughs) Yeah, I I wanted to. But my husband's like, hey, you know, let me handle this. You know, (laughs) I should have tased him. Anyway, okay, so Tammy immediately reported the fact that Young had lunged at a doctor, and this was a big deal to the inmates, like if a a staff member told on them for something, reported them for something. So they didn't want to leave the honor farm because they were given so much freedom here, right? Anyway, Young's friends told detectives it might be something he would kill over. The night before, he was overheard making comments about what he should do about the possible write-up Tammy would need to send in. After reporting him, and Young was making comments to these friends about what would happen if Tammy was murdered before she could submit anything. So when police went to question Young, he was belligerent and antagonistic. He obviously did not like law enforcement and wouldn't talk to them or cooperate in any way. But really quickly, he's Hmm. in the honor farm for murdering somebody. I know. Like, I don't know what the system is. I'm sorry. Anybody in Wyoming (laughs) listening to us, let us know. This was 2004. It's still in place to this day. Right. It is. No, I know it is. No, I mean their their classification system, not the farm. Is so, mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Maybe it's just because they're tougher than we are. You know, they're out on the ranch. They're living a hard life. They've all got guns anyway. Maybe they're like, we're fine, lady. Go back to California. Yeah. Like, you know how I say, you know, they got a cowboy up. Yep. These people really do it. (laughs) You mean it isn't just putting cute boots on and a hat? (laughs) Exactly. So anyway, police asked Young where he was that morning, and he said he overslept. But since his roommate was already out of the room that morning, Young did not have anyone who could corroborate his story of oversleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Without any evidence proving Young killed Tammy, investigators kept looking at other possible suspects. The second inmate the other prisoners were talking about was Joseph Sanchez. All prisoners at the honor farm are required to have a full-time job during their stay and the hours they work are logged by the guards. When investigators checked on the work log for that morning, Sanchez was not listed as being on the bus to the mushroom farm. And Sanchez was doing time for sexual assault, so like Young, he fit the profile police put together. Homicide detective Julie Matthews was assigned to the case, and it was actually the first homicide case she'd ever worked on. When she heard about Sanchez missing work the morning of Tammy's murder, it raised a lot of questions for her. She knew prisoners liked going to work on the farm because it allowed them to be able to leave the prison during the day, making it especially odd that Sanchez chose to stay at the prison. Word around the prison, which I think is like word on the street. Right, exactly. Was that Sanchez called in sick that morning, which was a great way for him to get sent to the medical clinic. He also had a spat with Tammy a few weeks earlier. 
Tammy told her family and friends that there was an inmate she was afraid of, and although she did not give them the person's name, she did give a description of him. The description was similar to Sanchez. Investigators learned why Tammy might be scared of him. Tammy caught him trying to steal medication from the clinic, and Tammy's reaction was described by another nurse as a one-woman intervention. So I think much like trying to get between the doctor and Young when he was roiding. Exactly. She was just looking out for them. She was respectful of the prisoners and wanting to help. Tammy knew he was likely stealing medication from the clinic during hours when he was not scheduled to be there, and therefore he could not be traced to the clinic at those times. Sanchez's fellow inmates told investigators that he was very angry at her and made some kind of threat to her about how she better not let him catch her alone. When guards searched his dorm, he acted like he was hiding something. They searched his sleeping area and discovered some packets of medication that he should not have had. Any medication, including aspirin, is doled out to the inmates one pill at a time, so the packets were clearly stolen from the medical clinic. When police questioned him, he was acting strangely, and they were not sure if he was on something or if he was just playing dumb. Investigators pressed him more about where he was that day, and he insisted he was at the mushroom farm. Detectives checked with the guards who were supervising prisoners at the farm that day, and all of the guards confirmed that Sanchez was with them that day, even though he was never checked in on the bus. Okay, Kath, do you know, was he actually ever checked in on the bus, or did he just walk to the mushroom farm? Well, he's not supposed to be able to walk to the mushroom right. farm. By the way, do you know how far it is? Do you have any idea? I could guess. In okay, my mind, sure. it's about a mile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but right. Thank you very much for that very specific information. <laughs> but on a 640-acre parcel of land, I'm probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how many miles 640 acres is. So. <laughs> uh, it's because you're not a cowboy. <laughs> I got a cowboy up. <laughs> So after focusing on the clinic visitors, then on the inmates the other prisoners thought had a problem with Tammy, investigators next looked at people who were in the general vicinity, and their sights were set on George Ryland. Ryland was working next door in the laundry room at the time of the murder, which meant he was only 50 to 60 feet away. Ryland's job was to be at the laundry early in the morning, so if he had a motive to kill Tammy, he would have known her schedule, and it would have been easy for him to know when she would be alone. Plus, he could be there without drawing any attention to himself. Ryland readily admitted to seeing Tammy on the morning of her murder when he walked outside for a smoke break. He saw her park her car, he said hello as she walked by, and told investigators that it was the only time he saw her that day. He also said he did not even know about her murder until the prison went into lockdown. Detectives thought that being so close he should have heard Tammy being attacked. Rylan also could have washed away any evidence because whoever killed Tammy would have gotten blood on their clothing. When they looked for bloody clothes in the laundry, they did not find any. Investigators also did not find anything in his dorm room. Riverton Police Chief Snell said that they were moving slowly and deliberately with the investigation. Charging an individual with a crime starts the legal clock ticking. And in this case, it was not necessary because all of their suspects were already in custody. I can't imagine that would have ever happened before. I know, exactly. This is very convenient for them. Exactly. Except for now they have too many suspects. Right, true. And investigators knew that physical evidence would be the key to solving the case. More than 100 pieces of evidence were submitted to the state crime lab for analysis. Without any direct evidence tying the inmates they had spoken to with the crime, investigators expanded their search to the prison trash room. That's a job I never would want. Exactly. During the police investigation, none of the prisoners' garbage was sent to the dump. Police sifted through it. After several hours, an officer found a handwritten letter to Tammy that had been crumpled up and thrown away, but there was no signature on it. At the bottom of the trash bag there was the beginning of another similar-looking letter next to a laundry slip with a person's name on it. Next to both of these items was a clump of shaved pubic hair. Could you imagine being the officer who found that? <laughs> uh, the name on the laundry was Floyd Grady. Floyd, Floyd, all known and void. 
the first inmate they questioned because of his excessive trips to the clinic in the weeks before Tammy was murdered. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. (laughs) So if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com slash Killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S. F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Detectives looked further into his 1994 conviction and learned that it was pubic hair which conclusively linked him to the prior rape. Detectives talked to Grady again. This time, Grady told him that he hooked up with Tammy earlier that morning because she was his secret girlfriend and they had been in a consensual relationship for one to two months. Investigators asked him to strip to his birthday suit to see if the hair they found in the trash was his. Sure enough, Grady had taken manscaping to the extreme. (laughs) And that's my poetic license, not something I read. (laughs) His genital region was shaved completely bare. When detectives asked why, Floyd Floyd Nolan Void said he shaved his pubic hair because it smelled. Yeah. (laughs) Additional questioning of Honor Farm staff and inmates about Grady's actions the morning of April 15th revealed that he was seen several times near the nurse's office between 6.05 and 6.20 a.m. Just over three months after Tammy Watts' death, on Friday, July 24, 2004, 29-year-old Floyd Dwayne Grady was arrested and charged with one count of kidnapping, one count of attempted rape, and two counts of first-degree murder. One murder count was for the allegations that Grady killed Tammy while attempting sexual assault, And the second murder count was for premeditated malice. This had to do with the shaving of his genital region. Grady pleaded not guilty and was transferred to the Maximum Security State Penitentiary in Rollins, Wyoming. Six months later, Fremont County Attorney Ed Newell said that his office would seek the death penalty. According to an affidavit signed by Detective Davis, among the pieces of evidence that linked Grady to the murder were fingerprints in the dental exam room where the killing occurred and blood on his prison-issued blue nylon jacket that DNA analysis confirmed belonged to the victim, Tammy Watts. Almost 19 months after the murder of Tammy Watts, trial began on November 7, 2005, with District Judge Norman Young presiding. During opening statements, Assistant Prosecutor Bob Bundy said that the state's evidence would show that Grady passed sexually suggestive notes to Tammy had shaved his genitals prior to the April 15th murder. He prefers aggressively manscaped. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) For two weeks before the killing, Grady was at the nurse's office early each morning and learned Tammy was alone for half an hour before her co-workers arrived. He also told the jury Grady's DNA was found on one of Tammy's breasts. 
smeared next to her body and around her collar, and his fingerprint was found on the dental exam chair next to her body. Grady's lead defense attorney, Carrie Johnson, contended that Grady had a romantic and consensual sexual relationship with Tammy, and she and Grady had been together for sex that morning, but defense counsel insisted that Tammy was alive when Grady left. The defense asserted that Grady and Tammy used the dental exam room for all of their sexual encounters, so it was not surprising that his fingerprint would be on the exam chair. The defense also identified four other inmates who they said were plausible suspects, alleging investigators ignored crucial leads and concluded too quickly that Grady was the killer. After a Riverton police detective walked jurors through the diagrams of the crime scene and what investigators found, Tammy's mom, Mrs. Hart, testified that Tammy told her she was worried about the inmate who kept showing up at the medical clinic and had begun passing her disturbing notes. Mrs. Hart told jurors that Tammy promised she would report it to the warden the next morning, and Mrs. Hart did not believe it was a coincidence that it occurred the same day she was murdered. My money's always on mom's intuition. Exactly, but also it makes sense. Couldn't you see Tammy, I mean, if she's baking a cake for an inmate and doing an intervention when an inmate is stealing medication, couldn't you see her warning this guy saying, hey, heads up, you continue your shenanigans and I'm going to report it to the warden? Absolutely, and remember she had just reported Scott Young because he's the one who got in the face of the doctor, and her reports obviously came with the potential to be transferred to a more secure prison. Exactly. Glenn Rivera, a former Honor Farm inmate, testified that he saw Grady about 6.30 a.m. on the morning of April 15th and said Grady was acting weird. He was pale and sweaty, and when he pointed out a red spot on Grady's nose, he immediately covered his face and ran away toward the dorms. It was also Rivera's conversation with detectives after the murder that led police to look for Grady's blue nylon jacket. Rivera said that the blue nylon jacket stood out to him because Grady always wore either a denim jacket or a forestry jacket. When the police searched Grady's room, the blue nylon jacket was the jacket that had blood on it. Another former inmate, Christopher Wolitz, shared a bathroom with Grady at the Honor Farm and testified that the morning of the murder, he heard Grady get up around 5 a.m. He did not see Grady again until breakfast at 7 a.m., and that was when lockdown happened, so they had to head back to their rooms. Wolitz testified that on the way back to their rooms, he noticed Grady was tracking dried mud into the bathroom and called him out on it because the bathroom had just been cleaned. Grady told him that he went through some mud while he was jogging that morning, but Wolitz said it didn't make any sense at all because Grady never went jogging unless he had to to pass a test to be on the fire crew, but Grady had already passed the test, so there was no reason for him to be jogging. This was noted by investigators because Grady would have walked through mud to get to the medical clinic from his dorm room on the morning that Tammy was murdered. Prosecutors also brought Detective Davis to the stand to establish the chain of custody for the evidence the police collected against Grady. There were two key items Detective Davis addressed. The first thing that Detective Davis addressed was the... The blue nylon jacket. (laughs) (laughs) The defense had brought this up because... Investigators did not find the blue nylon jacket in Grady's room for six days. Mm. And they were now saying it could have been planted. So Detective Davis was testifying that, of course, it was a dark blue jacket, as we've said. (laughs) And the prison doesn't actually have really high bright lights in the dorm rooms. And so he just hadn't noticed it because the dark red on the... Like it wasn't so obvious. Right, it wasn't so obvious. But he wanted to make sure that the jury understood the reason for it happening in this the time six, frame. The six-day gap in right. time. exactly. Yeah. And so then the second item that they wanted to address was the hair that they found in the trash. I'm not saying the P word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many times you can say it in a podcast. Kathy does not it. like saying the word pubic. <laughs> <laughs> because Kathy sings it like that around the house all the time. <laughs> Detective uh. Davis had testified under cross-examination about the individual trash bags that had been gone through and which is where they found the hair. Mm-hmm. Investigators had asked Honor Farm staff who were collecting the trash to identify them by putting tags on it so they knew where the bags came from. But they hadn't done that. 
Instead, Honor Farm staff placed the bags in a pile in a garage until it could be searched and sorted by law enforcement. So are you telling me that there could have been another inmate yes. who was stone cold bald? <laughs> exactly. And I, and I have to assume because it was shaved and not pulled out by the root, right. they couldn't get DNA on it. I mean, if he'd been waxed, they probably would have gotten it. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't read that anywhere. So. <laughs> exactly. But the defense attorneys were saying, you can't source this. Just because when you had him strip and saw that he was bare, it doesn't mean that was his pubic hair. Good point. Could have belonged to any of the men in there. (laughs) 176 of them. A lot of people manscape. We don't know. (laughs) You never know when you're going to have a hot date in the honor farm. (laughs) The prosecution also called Lehman Jefferson, an inmate from the Wyoming State Penitentiary in Rollins, who arrived at the honor farm the night before Tammy's murder. He testified that he was working out in the weight room that night when he met Grady. Jefferson said Grady was in a rage, shouting that he would kill that biatch, although Mm -hmm. he actually used the word. Mm -hmm. Honor Farm caseworker Deanna Skelton was called to the stand to clarify Grady's outburst. She testified that Grady was told that evening that he would not be allowed to go to Walmart to buy new glasses, and Grady blamed the nursing staff for the denial of the request. The prosecution also brought an expert witness from the Wyoming State Crime Lab. Forensic expert Catherine Normington testified that she found one spot, which is Grady's DNA, on the jacket. What jacket? Exactly, that (laughs) dang blue (laughs) nylon jacket. And that there was another spot with Tammy's and his DNA found. Biological evidence containing a mixture of both of their DNAs was also found on the coat Tammy was wearing at the time of her murder and on the bloody carpet in the dental room. Additionally, evidence consistent with Grady's DNA was found on Tammy's breasts and Grady's fingerprints were found on the dental chair. Prison medical records were provided that showed Grady was never actually treated in the dental office. So basically, he was a loiterer, but he was never treated. Right. But of course, that's why Grady addressed it by saying that was where he and Tammy had consensual sexual encounters was in the chair. Normington also testified that a glove found in an irrigation ditch at the Honor Farm had partial DNA samples consistent with Tammy. A matching glove was found in Grady's room that revealed DNA and blood belonging to Grady Tammy and one other unknown person. Normington said in her opinion, the unknown person was a female, but she confirmed that DNA samples from other inmates were compared for DNA analysis that did not match the DNA on the glove, only Grady's was consistent. Dr. Patrick Allen, the forensic pathologist who conducted Tammy's autopsy, testified that there were two primary areas of trauma on Tammy's head. There was blunt force trauma to her forehead that was so severe that it caused bruising on her brain. There was bruising on the back of her head, likely from Tammy falling backwards after being struck. She also had numerous abrasions on her face, possibly from blows. There was a single black electrical cord wrapped around her neck that was used to strangle her. So, Kath, if you'll recall at the beginning when they first found Tammy, the detectives thought that she had been raped. Right. But he was charged with one count of attempted rape because it appeared that his intent was to rape her. Mm -hmm. However, the job was never completed. So whether that was because he heard a noise and got scared or whether we don't know he wasn't able to finish. Right. The pathologist found no DNA in a rape kit. Right. It was the pathologist who said that she was not raped. Okay. Dr. Allen said the cause of death was multiple trauma. After Dr. Allen's testimony, the prosecution rested its case. Surprisingly... The defense then rested their case as well. The prosecution had called 22 of 42 potential witnesses, but the defense called none of its 91 potential witnesses. Wow. In a November 12, 2005 article in the Casper Star Tribune, journalist Brody Farquhar noted that although the defense did not call any witnesses, Grady's two defense attorneys vigorously cross-examined almost every witness. Their questions, statements, and references to the investigative record strongly implied the investigation had serious procedural errors, a lack of follow-up on leads, and numerous discrepancies that were never resolved by investigators or the prosecution. And frankly, if you do a good cross on a witness and 
discredit their direct testimony, you don't necessarily need to call witnesses. A key point that the defense continually brought up during the trial was that two items, that godforsaken blue jacket (laughs) and the gloves in Grady's room were not discovered by detectives until almost a week after the murder and easily could have been planted by one of the other suspects the defense suggested were more likely to have been the killer instead of their client. Several times the defense reminded the jury of how many inmates were at the honor farm at the time of the killing, 176, noting that two other inmates threatened Tammy while two violent sex offenders worked next door to the medical clinic in the laundry room. Grady did not testify in his own defense. His attorneys immediately asked the judge for an acquittal on all counts, specifically pointing out that the charge of kidnapping did not apply because it did not meet the judicial definition. Judge Young said he would take the kidnapping charge under advisement, but immediately denied the motion for an acquittal on the remaining counts. Later that day, Judge Young did grant the defense motion for acquittal on the kidnapping charge after denying a motion by prosecutors to be allowed to amend the charge. Closing arguments took place on November 14th, one week after the trial began. In the state's closing argument, Assistant Prosecutor Bob Bundy went through the evidence the prosecution presented at trial point by point. I think he probably talked about a blue jacket (laughs) and cautioned the jury that comments or suggestions by lawyers are not the same thing as hard evidence. Defense attorney Rob Oldham told jurors that the state failed to meet the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt and said they rested their case rather than calling defense witnesses because the prosecutors did not prove their case. In his rebuttal during closing argument, Assistant Prosecutor Bob Murray was overruled by the judge on six different occasions. That's kind of a big deal. Closing argument, you're supposed to summarize what witnesses have said. So you're basically creating an argument versus an opening statement, which is like what the facts will show. But in closing argument, you're like, this is what he said. And, you know, this is what we proved. Yeah. For six objections, 10 bucks says they were misstating the evidence sustained, misstates the evidence sustained. God only knows what he was saying. He urged the jury to avoid taking the defense's bait that somehow the <clears throat> blue nylon jacket was planted evidence. Jury deliberations began immediately after closing arguments. After deliberating for 43-plus hours over five days, Judge Norman Young announced that the jury was deadlocked in determining Floyd Grady's innocence or guilt. Judge Young spoke to each of the jurors and was satisfied that there was no likelihood of reaching a verdict. Honestly, five days, 43-plus hours, I respect this judge's decision. In the newspaper after that, though, the jurors were talking about how they were actually on the verge of coming to blows with each other. Oh, I can, It was so fraught with tension. I can imagine. And I, I think can. most of it was they were just tired of discussing the blue jacket. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and saying the words pubic hair. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the judge discharged the jury and the trial ended without prejudice to the prosecution, meaning, hey, it's a hung jury. You can retry him if you want. Retry who? Floyd Floyd, Nolan Void? Exactly. Fremont County Attorney Ed Newell immediately announced that his office would retry Floyd Grady for the murder of Tammy Watts. He also told reporters that the jury was deadlocked 10-2 in favor of conviction. 10-2 was the initial vote when deliberations began, and it never changed. One month after the mistrial, prosecutors and defense counsel met with Judge Norman Young about retrying the case. Judge Young told prosecutors he was disturbed by the post-mistrial publicity and the statements the prosecutor made to several news outlets, all in direct violation of his gag order, prohibiting them from talking to the press. That takes stones, Now, Cap, yeah, listen, I looked this up, and this prosecutor was really upset after the verdict, and so he's talking to the jurors afterwards. So 10 of them did favor conviction, and so some of them were pretty hot that they had these two holdouts. Hence the fisticuffs. Exactly. Or the potential fisticuffs. Exactly. So anyway, so he's chatting with these jurors. They all go to like a restaurant bar. I shouldn't say all. I don't know how many. Some of them did. Yeah. I want to say like my impression is that two or three of the pro-prosecution jurors went out 
for drinks, drinks with the and dinner with afterward? the prosecutor. Yes. Is that appropriate? I mean, the case is over. It happens. Um, it's not illegal or sanctionable. Yeah, no. So I guess what happens is like, of course, they're talking about the case. And the prosecutors and the defense attorneys are allowed to interview the jurors after something like this happens. Anyway, the bottom line is, I can't remember if it was one or two of the jurors who were voting to acquit show up at the restaurant Ooh. and they see the prosecutor and, you know, these other jurors being all chummy chummy. And they hear the lawyer, the prosecutor, say something derogatory toward one of the jurors who voted for acquittal. And so I guess that juror who voted for acquittal is like, what'd you say? Were you talking about me? And the guy was like, yeah, you I talk said about you were blah, I said you were blah, 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 blah. Like, so he repeated it to his face. And then apparently that night on the way to his car, a reporter comes up. So this attorney thinks it's off the record. <laughs> so <laughs> That's he, a mistake you usually only make once. Yeah. So he's talking about how he believes that Floyd Grady is guilty. And he's talking about his poor character. And so knowing that a retrial is pending, as he told God and all of America, that he's going to retry this guy, it was not appropriate for him to have conversations about the character of this defendant. You can't bias the potential jury pool, right? among other ethical reasons. But anyway, so he winds up getting censured by the Wyoming State Bar. And it wasn't like an, oh, my God. It was a God. slap on the wrist, though. It was a $600 fine and a public censure, meaning... Other attorneys are aware of it, but the general public is not. Or if somebody Googles his name and they come up with his bar number, they could look on the bar and they could see that he's been censured. So what happens is he offered his resignation on the case. From the new trial going forward. Correct. Okay. And the judge was like, yes, thank you very much. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll see you at the bar later. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we'll be at happy hour. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, this is small town Wyoming. I have no doubt the judges and the attorneys were friends. Uh, yeah, exactly. But... The defense made a motion for change of venue. Because this guy was yapping out in public. Exactly. Okay. And of course, word got around. So the judge are like, yep, you get a new venue. Jury selection for Floyd Grady's new trial started on April 10th, 2006, almost two years to the day after Tammy was murdered. Unlike the first trial, the 12 jurors and two alternates would be sequestered at a local motel for the duration of the trial which was estimated to last up to three weeks. In the first trial, jurors were only sequestered during deliberations. Mm. Judge Norman ruled on several pretrial motions submitted by the prosecution and the defense. One key motion from the prosecution was to exclude evidence about other honor farm inmates who the defense argued during the first trial should have been considered as possible suspects. The defense had offered these four names at the first trial, but did not provide any evidence to support the statements despite promises by Grady's attorneys. Right. So the prosecution in the, in the second trial took a smart pill. They're like, hey, wait a second. They brought up a whole bunch of stuff in the first trial about these other possible people, the same people we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. And so we're not going to allow them to do that this time. Because essentially, you can't just raise suspicion or speculation. If you're going to offer evidence about an alternate suspect, you actually have to have some real evidence connecting them to the crime. You can't just toss out maybe so-and-so did it. The next day, the judge granted the prosecutor's motion. Which I'm sure the defense was super bummed about. Until the next morning, when the judge reversed his earlier ruling and was now going to allow questions in the courtroom about potential third-party suspects. Judge Young said the issue was very complicated. The court cannot judge the nature of the evidence until it is heard, but by then, it of course has already been said in front of the jurors. Plus, this case was unique because it occurred in a prison where there were almost 200 suspects. A lot of the same information was introduced by prosecutors, but essentially they focused on reiterating the time frame where Grady was seen around the medical clinic at the time and day Tammy was killed, mm -hmm. and also some of the other inmates where they saw him with what looked like a red spot on his nose that could have been blood. Right, all the corroborating evidence. And, of course, the dreaded, <laughs> say it with me, blue, blue nylon, nylon jacket. jacket. <laughs> exactly. After the prosecution rested their case, once again, Grady's attorneys did not call any witnesses and immediately rested their case. On Friday, April 29th, nine days after the trial began, the case went to the jury later that morning. 
after deliberating for 28 hours on Saturday, April 30th, the six-man, six-woman jury found Grady guilty of first-degree murder during a sexual assault, premeditated murder, and attempted sexual assault. The two convictions for murder each qualified for the death penalty. During the penalty phase, prosecutors described to the jury the structure of the Wyoming correctional system. Scott Abbott, the warden at the Maximum Security State Penitentiary in Rollins, said an inmate with a life sentence could earn points for good behavior and be allowed more freedoms. Abbott also testified that inmates who are sentenced to life in prison come into contact with female security officers and could possibly be in one-on-one situations with them at some point. Mike Pacheco, an associate warden at the Honor Farm, testified that an inmate could move through the process to lower security within only a few years. That surprises me. I don't understand it. Three days later, after deliberating for six hours, the jury decided Grady should be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder and attempted sexual assault of Tammy Watts rather than the death sentence. In addition to the life sentence, on June 29, 2006, Judge Young sentenced Floyd Grady to 40 to 50 years on the attempted first-degree sexual assault conviction and ordered that the life sentence be served consecutively. The Wyoming Supreme Court upheld the verdicts. After the verdict, Tammy's mother, Mrs. Hart, said, I am just glad it is over. Maybe now we can pick up the pieces. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoy all of the stories, doing the research, finding out Mm -hmm. all the details. And several of our listeners, of course, have sent us suggestions. Yes, we love that. We do. We absolutely love it. If you have any that you're interested in, it happened in your hometown, you've heard of it. Let us know. And if you're not following us, we are at Killer Destinations Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.